going to say that we've set up Dateline shoots faster than this. But <laughs> probably wouldn't have been nice. But. What's it like working uh, with professionals? That's my first question. <laughs> What's it like? That should be your first question. It's the Heckleproof Comedy Podcast with Zach Bolton and Carl Lee and Maddie J. In this episode, the guys talk with Shane Bishop of Dateline NBC. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the second episode of Heckle Proof Podcast. I am Carl Lee. I'm Zach. And I'm Maddie J. And before we get started, like always, got to show some love to our sponsors. I want to thank Hawaiian Hut, Chadwick's Pub. And Medford Rod and Custom. For taking care of us. Thank you guys so much. And I'm so excited today, man, because we have a very special guest on our second episode. And this is one of my favorite people, man. And you guys are familiar with some of his work. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for my man, the one of the producers of NBC's Dateline, Shane Bishop. Yeah. Welcome aboard, Shane. Welcome, Shane. Thank you so much. Good you, to be here. You cut that applause off quick. Like. <laughs> Enough cheering. <laughs> that's the worst thing for to comedy point. when we hit the stage. Like, oh, that's it? Uh, Don't you make a speech, Shane. Don't you do it. <laughs> Shane, my man, thank you for coming on, man. Uh, um, you know, you are our first guest. You are our first guest on our second episode, and thank you so much. Let me tell you guys how I know Shane. Shane's wife is one of my best friends. She's a sweet woman. My uh, former co-worker. Yep. Oh, she's really? a nurse, yep, and her name's Anna Bishop. Show some love to you, Anna. Love you, girl. Love you, Anna. And mm-hmm. she's just amazing. So she introduced me to this guy, and, and then I think we built a bromance right off the bat, didn't we? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. She said you didn't believe her when she told you what I did for a job. Your eyes went all. Yeah, because who in the hell living in Medford, Medford <laughs> <laughs> is a producer for, like, a New York production? Like, I was like, stop yeah. lying. Most people think I work for Kobe, which is fine with me. <laughs> like a weather producer or something right. when you <laughs> works. So what's up, Shane? How you been doing? I'm fine. I'm home for a little bit and uh, glad to be home always. Home for a little bit. What's next? I've worked on one story for 15 months about the murders of two kids in Idaho. Oh, wow. By yes, their, by yes. Their, by their parents and some weird religious cult. So, yes. Um, I got the, f- uh, well, we have the number one podcast in America right now on that case, Mommy Doomsday. Ooh, oh, wow. Number That's one true. podcast. It's like a true, true crime podcast? Yeah, it's about yeah. this case. Keith Morrison from okay. Dateline. Narrates. One of my favorite guys. Or is she? <laughs> That's true. You know, you might not realize this, <laughs> but uh, what's it like to produce porn? For bored housewives, because that's pretty much what these these crime shows are like. Murder better. porn, it really it. is. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. But I watch every episode. You know, how, you know how many. What does networks? that say about you, Carl? I'm a <laughs> I'm a mom. <laughs> He's a bored housewife. I'm a bored <laughs> big mama. <laughs> Tell Jessica to step it up. <laughs> Carl's just a bored housewife. What you doing, Jessica? That explains oh, the wow. jeans. Oh, Maddie, my jeans. Take it. <laughs> That's true. I, I've seen less jewels on a wrapper than your back pockets, man. <laughs> Bedazzled pants. Bedazzled pants. Remember them days when, like, the when Italian douchebags, remember that era they wore, though? The Flexion shirts. Oh, my God. Did you get it at Buckle? Jersey Yep, store. at the Buckle. Jersey saw Flexion shirts. Had and, their hair all spiked up. Crazy. And the pointed dress shoes, white ones. Wearing three watches. So, Shane, what did you... So, are you... You originally... Went to school for journalism. Is that how it works? Yeah, I grew up in rural Montana in a little town and uh, went to school at the University of Montana. Missoula. Missoula. Go Grizz. Mm -hmm. And what was your first job? My first job was uh, (laughs) I was a reporter for KPAX TV in Missoula, Montana when I was about 20. They hired me as an intern, and then, Mm. you know, if you have a pulse, they'll put you in front of the anchor chair. And so I did, and I was, my voice hadn't even changed yet. I was like, good evening. I look like I'm 12. (laughs) sound like Screech. This is serious, folks. (laughs) Rest in peace, Screech. (laughs) And, um, you know, bounced around the country and ended up in New York by the time I was 29 or 30. Wow. 
got a job oh. at NBC. What was that like coming Dang. from little small Montana? Yeah. What was that like, man? Because I've been to Montana several times. I've done so many comedy tours in Montana. And I remember one time, Shane, twice in the same week, I was the first black person that these two white people ever saw. Twice in the same week. I think, think both in Butte. The only black people we saw growing up where they were... Uh, came through with the missiles at Malmstrom Air Force Base. They're <laughs> like, these guys are yep. from here. Right? Oh. <laughs> and you guys thought Not the blacks were taking over with <laughs> missiles and shit. <laughs> real... Reagan hasn't prepared us for this threat. <laughs> Do you just see that? What the heck was that driving by? Ooh, black guy face. with a missile. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, that was great. So what was it like in New York? Uh, it was kind of scary. Um, I was 20, 26, I guess. Uh, I lived in Philly for a year before that, Ooh. so that was my mm-hmm. step up. Um, but everybody was great. You know, the people in Philly are like, oh, those New Yorkers, they're so nasty. Don't go there. Mm-hmm. And then, you, you know, you go there and they're just fine. But they go, oh, those people in Philly, they're so stupid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't go there. You know, so. But it was fine. Everybody's real nice. And I didn't yeah. get killed. I didn't get mugged. It was back, you know, I got to New York in 1990 when Times Square was still a pretty scary place. And. Giuliani wasn't the mayor yet. Yep, exactly. Porn, porn theaters everywhere. Oh, wow. Square, Goodness. So Freddie Mercury was still running through there. See, if I moved from here to New York and then I was surrounded by porn theaters, I would just feel at home. That would be like something that would make me really comfortable <laughs> right off the bat. Like, I can stretch out and put my feet up in this city. You know, <laughs> like, this city <laughs> loves me. Have you seen Ad Mama to the Train? Through? Throw mama? Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. I was like, what? Like, excuse me, throw mama? Is that a horn when you're done with or throw mama? From the I, I, I don't forget that one because I saw it on a billboard in New York City walking through like 26, 27 years old. Anyway, that one sticks in my mind. That's a fantastic wow. movie, too, by the way. Wow. That is. That's I might be aging myself. I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know about that one. Yeah. Yeah, Zach anyway, is the baby of the like, bunch. Zach is talking? the baby of hey the guys, bunch. Hey, guys, anything from this millennium we can talk about? <laughs> exactly. Uh, Nothing important. You guys so asked what me. Was, what was Abraham about? Lincoln like? <laughs> how about that Snapchat? Right. Did it freak you guys out when the world became color? <laughs> Dateline, oh, what yeah. was the um, probably the most difficult uh, show you had to produce? What, what, what do you think? Well, for a long time, I've been there at Dateline since 1994. And so year before that, I was there when the World Trade Center blew up. Wow. Um, you know, I've covered Oklahoma City bombing, Columbine. I was there for 9-11. I was there for Hurricane Katrina. More movie shootings and theater shootings and you know tornadoes and hurricanes and i can count shane so. i just asked for one you gave me like 20 <laughs> no, and like even though you, you just had, ruined the whole mood nothing is funny anymore and this, uh, but just, you live you live through and you've reported on all of that yeah and yet still you have to be more shook by this kardashian breakup thing <laughs> i mean we want to talk about real tragedies that matter i muted that word on my twitter feed like Six years ago. <laughs> Kardashian? Uh, yeah. So the Kardashian <laughs> show ending or the marriage? You know, Ooh. I feel like both are iconic. Yeah, they're both pretty iconic. Right. Because they're getting divorced. Fam. Mm. Yeah. You know what that means? Fam. Kanye's back on the market. <laughs> yeah. I miss the old Kanye. Fam. <laughs> fam. <laughs> Hi, fam. fam. That family took off. Yeah. I didn't know Same. anything about their family. That took off. That one thing I heard I about that I just wish family. they would have stayed gone when they took off. That's my... <laughs> I still wish the most famous thing they did was their dad helped defend OJ. That's it. Know? That's yeah. the first time I heard yeah. it. All downhill from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's crazy to see how much they I like up. that the guy who defended OJ was the best contribution that that family <laughs> made. The guy who writes the book. Like, if I did it... Did you do any... Any work on the OJ case? No. I was in New York at the time. I mean, we had a whole contingent out there, but I was just a little kid reporter, so little kid producer. I, they kept me back in wow. New York. Yeah, That became wow. a miniseries. Yeah. So what's that like when you're, when you're young and in that industry? Do you get, you know, like these bad coverage spots that nobody wants, or is it more of a literal kind of lottery? You just get what comes your way. I mean, how's that kind of thing? Oh, I mean, when I started Dateline, um, I was primarily a writer for like two or three years. Um, so they just put me in with Jane Pauley and Stone Phillips, and I wrote all their 
you know, intros and teases and opens and things like that uh, for a couple of years. And then I said I wanted to get out. And they back then they used to ease you in with like, here's a two minute spot on a tornado. And then there's a five minute spot on a hurricane. And then there's an eight minute spot on whatever, you know. <laughs> and then they gave me an hour, a murder in Georgia. A cop killed some woman. They said, go out and do it. So, oh, wow. Nice. I like it. If you're a writer, Dateline's a great place to work because, yeah. you know, you write one hour and two hour shows and put them together and you can only do about three of them a year. Right. So, What do you think the percentage of Dateline topics that have come from Florida is? 83. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, no, you guys might know this, but might not know, know this, but it's like, you know, it used to be there was these big pockets of the country. It's like, oh, that's the worst spot in the country. You don't want to go there. But if you pay attention from news from Florida, oh. that's definitely where it's at now. Like yeah. the, the thing that's great about Florida is like they don't even have a sense of humor about reporting the stories. Like there was a story recently where a guy robbed a Wendy's with an alligator with an alligator <laughs> and when they would it and this is no bullshit and when they reported on the story this is what it sounded like like a man has robbed a wendy's with an alligator and at 5 p.m we're doing a community <laughs> breakfast and it's like what this is norm it's the norm <laughs> yeah dateline has uh, 12 reporters in florida and you know four for the rest of the country exactly producers, wow yeah. Wait a minute. Rob the Wendy's with an alligator. <laughs> yeah. No, here's here's how great this story is. So he robbed a Wendy's with an alligator and got nothing. And he lost his alligator. And and the way that it went down was he he like launched, he he tried to rob the drive-thru and they said no. <laughs> which is great. No, no. I think in most robberies, they just give you what you want. And this must've been a worker like on the end of her, her leash, you know, she's like, uh-uh. <laughs> like, uh-uh. and then he's like, Oh yeah, here's an alligator. And like tossed what? an alligator in the drive through window. <laughs> Get him Roscoe. And apparently <laughs> Roscoe, I love it. Apparently then he just gets like, I don't know, stage fright or whatever and drives off. And then not far from there, the cops rather immediately pulled him over you know, being on camera in the drive through mm-hmm. with your car, make and model and all that. But that's just a typical everyday kind of Florida story. That's just the one they picked that night. That oh What what town? Gosh. It got to be some small little hick town. It's all over. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. God, no, hilarious. no, Florida, they just produce it like pollen. It just pops out when you least expect it. These pockets of weird. And that's a story we wouldn't do because nobody died. Right. Nobody died. Oh. Or did they? What happened to Roscoe? I want the cleanup story. You know, I want to know, like, okay, so what's the aftermath? Like, now there's an alligator in the kitchen of Wendy's. That's the real story is how they get that out of there. They just put it into the food. I don't know. Now, Matt, you said they threw the alligator through the drive-thru. <laughs> right. Be a like, he's oh, in his travel car. Size. It was a subcompact alligator. <laughs> yeah, in, in his car, he threw... This alligator through the window, so it's obviously not a full. Not crocodile right. Well, that's what I was picturing. That's yeah. the type, see, that's where I go, and that's what I think I'm is. Like, I think that's, oh, that's what I think is like, the funniest what? part about it. It was probably kind of an adorable alligator. It's small enough to fit in through the window. It's he like, was driving a Geo, right? Exactly. <laughs> when he left, did he have a tagline? See you later, alligator. I just want to know what he thought was going to happen. So, like, if you throw the alligator in there and it's now landed by yes. the cash register. Yeah. Oh, no. So, so lady's going to then walk by the cash register right next to the gator and start handing <laughs> yeah. over money. And you know somebody kept it. They just oh, loved yeah. it there. Somebody that's, no, somebody took that alligator home. Probably one of the customers yeah. was like, Roscoe. if you're going to just throw that out. Stacy, where's the... <laughs> exactly. Stacy, where's the Frosty Cups? Oh, they're next to the Roscoe. Go grab, right. them the, go grab them out of the counter. What's it say on his stomach? Please return to... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're going to ask the University of Florida to start calling their mascot Roscoe. <laughs> exactly. I like that, Roscoe. So you said that's some stories you would not do because nobody died. Is that really true? Is that something sometimes? like? Yeah, uh, I mean, you don't turn into Dateline and see some shoplifting story, do you? Yeah, there's no. not a lot of uplifting no. Dateline coverage. You I don't know? think I've done a happy story ever. Maybe. <sighs> you know what? Because me and my sweetheart, my girlfriend, we always watching. We always watching Dateline. We love that. About I'm you. serious, man. I have like I go to like because I recorded off USA Network. Uh, well, I couldn't get Oxygen Channel because my Direct TV package didn't come with it. So <laughs> well, damn, we're on. Damn. We have our own channel now on Peacock. Yes, I got that. Oh, so okay. and I also have the NBC uh, app on my Apple Box. But damn, we're trying for lots of sponsorships. That was I like know. eight Apple potential Box. sponsorships exactly. in two sentences. Carlos and Wendy's. Good. <laughs> 
and, 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 and Wendy's. And Hot Carl, don't say it right. Apple Box. It's an Apple, Apple TV. Box. <laughs> no, it's an Apple Box. It's not shopping it. It's an Apple Box. Hot so. Apple. It's box. not the Apple TV. No, but it's a box. They call it Apple Box TV. But yeah. anyway, anyway, Apple Jacks. Shane, this Thank is my you, son. Medford, Hot Shane, Rod. I, I, I what was, was that again? Shane, I'm not going to bring this up. At this bro. point, at this point, Shane, I just want to know one thing. What's it like to work with professionals? <laughs> <laughs> Shay, I wasn't gonna bring this up. This is my son. <laughs> Damn. This is all part of the child support agreement. <laughs> I used to have a gap, actually. <laughs> Him being with me, this is mandated. <laughs> this is mandated. Carl yeah, lost this, that. Yeah, court this case. mandated my mom, and then I got had six. <laughs> <laughs> I got six more months of this shit, and that I'm done. That explains him saying when I walked in, "You're not my dad. You can't That's tell me it. that." Exactly. <laughs> but Shane, so this is what gets us. Is we can't stand watching episodes where you never find the killer at the end. It no, always we don't, we don't uh, do those. We don't, <laughs> we don't do like those. It happens often. That would be Jeez. a happy ending. On Dateline, that'd be kind of a yeah, happy ending. It irks nope. us. We yeah. sit there and watch for two hours, and then it wraps up. It's like they didn't find the killer. You know what that tells me? What that you're not watching Dateline because we always wrap it up. We don't do Wait, anything. You? We don't think. <laughs> we don't think. We don't think people want unresolved. They don't want to watch unresolved. Oh, okay, so, right, right. right. That must be some other show you're watching. Oh. So can I do the voiceover for Dateline? We always wrap it up. <laughs> no Dateline. They start. If they start making condoms, you get Dateline. You'll come away satisfied because there's always an ending. one. <laughs> <laughs> Dateline. Oh, we're going to finish. <laughs> That's the best one. Oh, I, I really like that. Oh, we're going to finish. <laughs> I think I'm the number one fan. Hmm. I think I am. I don't know. I used to Although think you just so. got the whole plot wrong. I used to think so until you just told me we did too many shows. Did you guys do Did you guys do no. the one? Um, I think it was in Colorado with the, the dad that ended up killing his daughters with uh, the mom. In, in the oil, yeah. oil fields? Yeah. yeah, with his girlfriend. We did that. Oh, my goodness. Here's what people usually say to me on Dateline. Uh, did you do that one? Uh, which one? Oh, the one where the lady ended up dead. Um, can you be a little more specific? Um, I, it was like her husband or somebody who killed her? Yeah, how? It's like I think he, um, like he mm, strangled her. Keep going. Mm -hmm. She was found in the woods. Right. Yeah. Mm. Keep checking the box. I mean, more yep. specific. Like, are, are you thinking of us or Lifetime TV? Yeah. It could be either one. <laughs> I mean, all of about them. About eight more questions, and then you'll finally go. I kept, oh, that wasn't me. I kept hoping one oh, day, speaking imagine. of Lifetime, I kept hoping one day that that actress, Meredith Baxter Bernie, that was in all the movies, I kept hoping one day she was just going to snap from all being in all those and really she become is. the killer. Like, she's the Zodiac they never Gosh. caught. Kinda. She is, man. I just that's a good point, man. She always on the on those lifetime movies. That's true. So was that lady who uh and there was Sissy Spacek. What's the lady who got arrested with her husband for um she was in all those lifetime Christmas movies and then she got uh arrested yeah, for Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for, for the for putting her kids in school and uh, lying about it. Full oh, house. Full, full house. house. Full house yeah, girl. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Full yeah. household. She lost yeah. a big gig yeah. there too, didn't she? She did. Full house. She was supposed to be in Fuller House or where she was in uh, starting out, and then that whole case came out, and they were like, no. Nope. That All happened right. after 2000, so I'm nearly not, that'd be my <laughs> not familiar with it. Yeah. <laughs> if I was going to be in a business, that'd be my luck. i get stuck in some kind of Full House show. You know what I mean? And then, like, the culmination of my career would be hoping that Fuller House came out so I could just keep cashing in on It's been on 25 that. years. When are we going to make the sequel? I know, exactly. All I want to do is be in a successful series. And then two years keep, later, oh, my God. Trying to keep your shit together for 25 years. Never know when it's going to pop up. Right. In the I can't gym. No, I can't drink. Never know what's going to pop up on a treadmill. Might get that reboot. <laughs> get that can't reboot. Believe, can't believe the first line of my obituary is he was in Full House. So uh, when you when you tell people what you do and and um, who you are, do you, is it kind of like a I produce for Dateline? So you're preparing yourself for all the questions because you know people are going to rebuttal with. No, I usually say I'm a journalist, and then they oh, go, "Oh, you what go. do you do? Oh, I'm a TV producer. Oh, oh for what, what do you show? produce? Yeah. And that's uh, when you open up that can of worms. Then I say Dateline, and they go, <gasps> keeps going. And then you drop you drop the D on them. Either <laughs> drop that D on them. As soon as you drop the D, it's over. Slogan. Drop that D Speaking on Speaking of them. new slogans. Right. Drop the D. Drop the Dropping D. that D on Dateline, them. we drop the D, and we always <laughs> finish. There we go. There we go. <laughs> 
Hey, you better you better copyright that real quick. Right. Just Don't worry, we'll wrap calls. it up. Yeah. <laughs> I just want everybody to know. Texting we, my boss. Right <laughs> now, sir. We have first recording rights on that. It would just yeah. hold up a newspaper. Today's date. You know, a lot of people don't know, like, if, if they're of a certain age, they'll say, I don't know what Dateline is. And I'll go, your mom does. Mm. <laughs> oh, that's uh, good. Your mom know about that D. That's good. Your mom know about that D. That's what your mom does instead of your dad. Yeah. <laughs> your mom does, and she watches it with your sister. Ooh. Ooh. They both getting that D her night. And your auntie. <laughs> and your auntie. And Nana. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Because, honestly, Shane, that's a good question, though, because as a comic, when people find out what you do right away, they want to, oh, my God, say something funny. They go into that whole thing. And or so you can just be in chill mode and they just they see they hear you a comedian. Well, he's not very funny for me. He's not talking. He's not. Really, yeah. I just can't be me. Like, I wish people did right. that with porn stars. You just walk up to a porn star that you see and be like, take out your dick. Come on. Let <laughs> yeah, me why it. do you have clothes on? <laughs> right. No, the worst thing is it's not when they ask you like what you do and they want to like fan on it for a minute. That's actually not bad. But to me, the worst is like, can I tell you a joke? Yes. Oh, no. Then no, it ends I've, up being racist. Well, comedy is, <laughs> it, it ruins it for you. Like when a regular person tells you a regular joke, your inner critic, whether you want it to or not, pops up as a comic. And right. even though you're smiling and laughing, like deep down, you're like, that delivery was shit. Can I tell right. you a joke that we used to tell on the plains of Montana? On the, who, on the plains? Yes. Yeah. Let's do yes. it. Do you know why Canada? Oh, wait a second. I'm telling it wrong. Three guys sitting in a bar. They're wondering what to name their country. And the one guy goes, how about if we all pick a letter? The first guy goes, Okay. C A. Next guy goes N A. Next guy goes D A. Canada. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> that was Canada dry. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's where I shine. Oh, like I don't necessarily have great punchlines, but if somebody else fucks one up, I'm always right there. <laughs> yeah. I'm like a different kind of ghostwriter. Stick to murder. Have you ever used <laughs> Maddie, have you ever used any jokes that somebody came up and gave to you or tried to give one? Them? One. And I love telling this story because it was like, I swear to God, this was like a seven-year-old kid that told me this joke. And I, I love it when kids have that natural thing where you can tell they're going to be funny. But I even love it more when a kid tells a really, really dark joke that you don't <laughs> expect to come from a kid. And so this seven-year-old, he's like, can I tell you a joke, mister? You know, it's totally like Rockwell style. I'm like, sure, kid. What do you got? And he goes... Uh, what do you call a kid with no arms? And I'm thinking, because as a comic, I always want to guess the punchline, right? I'm coming up blank. I'm like, I don't know. He goes, Todd. And he pauses perfectly. And right as I'm about to question, he goes, knock, knock. I go, Who th who's there? He says, not Todd. <laughs> <laughs> now and that deserves a laugh. <laughs> 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 that to this day, that's my favorite joke a kid's ever told me because it's just so cold. You know, you just oh, don't expect yeah. that from a seven-year-old. Yeah. Not Todd. Yeah. Not Todd. That's hilarious. So I, I, I honor that child, and I tell that joke on stage, and it gets more laughs sometimes than my other yeah. set, which is why I'm going to find that child and kill him before find he him. grows up and develops. Does that find happen him. after, after uh, comedy shows, though? A lot of people come up and try to say jokes. A lot of times when because I get that a lot. hear your stuff and they're like, oh, I know something else that's funny. Check yes, this out. exactly, exactly. Here's a tag. Yeah, look at Here's up. something. That's the truth. What's the ah. percentage of people who come up and say you're not that funny? About 100 for Carl. <laughs> about 100 for Carl. You see, the thing about Carl is he's just such a nice guy. He's not really that funny, but we love him so much. And we want him to try, you know. Finally said it out loud. It's really, it's not laughter, it's charity. Make-A-Wish Foundation. I tell you what, I had the worst experience ever in my early part of my career in Killeen, Texas. I got heckled and I got booed, and that fucked me Why? Why? Up. A boo is different, too. What it caused demand. the heckling and the booing? It was because it was just like I was performing for a bunch of Army guys, <laughs> and they were getting drunk and rowdy before, and I could hit oh, that no. stage, man, and it was heckling me. And bull me, and internally it was like, and I froze. Yeah, and I froze, and I struggled oh, through no. my set. But that was early on. Yeah, but I struggled through my set because prior to that, 
I never experienced heckling. I was just, I thought I was a shit for years. That's boom, what comedy boom. does. That That's got to be an experience. I was like so. Mike Tyson before he met Holyfield. <laughs> it's true. It builds you up. It gives Buster you this, Douglas, I think. You always get like 12 great Buster shows Douglas. under your belt, and then that 13th show comes, and it just humbles your ass. But they say, Man. They say you're actually not a real comic unless you truly have bombed. Well, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I've, and, but it's not even a metaphorical thing. It's more that it takes enough shows to truly bomb. Right. Because your confidence has to get overinflated. And, and you what will happen is you'll do a show where you think, I got this. I'm always funny. Maybe you don't prepare whatever it is. You just show up thinking like, oh, I'm just going to kill it. Yep. And right then is when your ego, like it, it taps into the universe and you just get this big karmic bitch slap where it's like, no, tonight <laughs> you're going to suck. Yeah. But it's really good because until you know what that feels like, you won't push yourself even harder because the right. fear of that feeling again creates better jokes than you would have ever had had you not bombed. Hello, yeah. that was just comedy 101 for Truth you young bomb. bucks. <laughs> and also, to help me do is become a better writer and to know your audience because so many guys can do the same set verbatim for years, going to different venues in front of different people, which it won't work. So, it helped me to realize, like, to to work, to have my material so diverse for so many people and just to be fresh on the top of the head because, you know, but you you learn that early on because a lot of comedians um, don't realize what it means to write and have so much material just ready. And that's one thing I appreciate about Maddie. Maddie will put material away and won't touch it. And he won't hit a stage for a while because he's focused on writing a whole new bit for the next year. So that's one thing I appreciate about, I appreciate about him. And also that, that hit me and made me like, yep, let me keep going to my drawing board. Well, it's true. It's a small town, and if you play a lot, <clears throat> how can you ask somebody to come back and just keep watching you do that? Like I know several comics that have been doing the same set for five years, mm -hmm. yeah. literally verbatim. Like I can recite their routine because I've opened with them or I've, follow yeah. them enough Jeez. that I could do their routine. And so for me, I struggled to get enthused about it. And I wonder like, how do you follow a guy you? if it's always the same? And like one of the best things you can do is have overwritten for your time. Because like Carl says, you show up to a venue and something you're doing isn't working. You better have something to switch to quick. It's mm -hmm. the same for every creative. That's yeah. what I was going to ask you. Know, you. What yeah. is it like for you yeah. when it comes to that? Because you can't approach it. Cause it could be, it's a murder. But not every murder is the same. And how do you approach it? How do you approach the story? Well, I was I was say now I can tell you if it's a Dateline story in 15 seconds. Somebody will say, oh, I got this story for you. And I'll go, no, 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 no. That's not for us. But it's it's finding angles. It's finding good characters. I think that's primarily what I try to do because I work yeah. with Keith Morrison mostly. And, I, you know, I do a lot of... Um, kind of blue highway stories, I call them, because I'm from Montana, and I mm -hmm. look at Idaho, Oregon, Washington, and Wyoming, and Utah, and places that other people don't look so much. So right. I'm looking for the weird kind of Twin Peaksy small town stories um, with good characters or oddballs or just, you know, people that, um, that tell a great story or will do a good interview. Um, and, you know, you just have to keep pushing yourself. I, I got... Uh, two or three hours of body cam footage yesterday from some cop in Coeur d'Alene about a murder I've been working on for three years. And I finally, you know, I finally got the body cam footage. So, wow. and I've asked a hundred times for it. So, you know, well, you how just, many do you have, <clears throat> you know, going at once like that? I imagine you have a few things sort of in the can. I usually so have, I usually have about 10 stories going at once and then they Man, kind of whoa, shuffle in and sheesh. out of, you know, order progress. Um, Keith probably has 20 or 25 at once. Wow. I mean, it's a Dateline is a machine. You have to keep feeding it. You know, That's right, right now, exactly. Right now, there's an hour on Thursday. There's two hours on Friday. Sometimes we're on on Sunday. Uh -huh. So it's people you know, don't realize mystery. how much time it takes to produce an hour of entertaining content. Yeah. I'd rather do two hours because you get the same. You get to do a two hour show and you have, you know, it's about a 70 page script, 75 page script rather than a one hour show, which to me is just about the same amount of work. <laughs> for an right. hour or less of TV. Yeah. And it's all like a big Thanksgiving dinner, right? You work and work and work and work, and boom, it's on TV and it's over. And yeah. Usually your boss is asking you three days before this one airs, like, hey, what do you got next? Is your boss so. like uh, like the boss from the Daily Planet? Meaning? Oh, you don't know. Oh, Joe J. Jonah Jameson or whatever his name is? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody knows about comic know. books, though. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> a little bit. Not, uh, okay. Uh, that, that was the whitest thing Carl's ever said. I love, yeah. that, I love that Carl's like, what? You, you guys don't read comic books? <laughs> you guys don't know about uh, 
books. You guys don't read comic books. <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't read Ebony Magazine. <laughs> Jet Beauty of the Week. Oh, no, man. no. So, so what's it like when you do a bunch of work and then for whatever reason you either can't air it, legal stuff comes up with the case, or maybe you can't get that footage that you need? Does every anything ever go away, or do you just kind of back burner it until you think eventually that stuff will get freed? Well, I mean, I did a story a couple of years ago about a guy who crashed a plane in Montana and killed his girlfriend, and it happened almost 40 years ago, and I hounded him for 12 years to talk to us. So, you know, there's really no time limit on how long we'll wait. If we don't, wow. if we don't get something we need, I'll just backbench it until and keep working on it. Right. Jeez. Well, how many times have you had to go out and do a murder because you didn't have one? <laughs> that's how I met Carl. Actually. That's what I figured. Like, you know, like you guys, yep. we need more they were very show. close yeah. right away. And Carl, and that's one way that can happen uh, is yeah, when you well. share a murder is your first friendship mm-hmm. hangout. Exactly. You know? Carl and my wife are both cut from the same. Like I'll help you bury the body cloth. We are, <laughs> and now they're both very learned, studied, you know, exactly. experts in crime. Because that's the, that's the thing I don't think people realize is over time the evolution of society. The more we watch these shows the more everybody gets better at murder. Yeah, you know, Carl's listening to the podcast now. Like, or the, the more people think they're better at murder because they're really not. You know, that the, was people, gonna... the people who watch Dateline, you know, they'll think of everything except, oh, I left my phone on. <laughs> right, right. You know, like, I have, exactly. oh, he was there, tap, then he was tap, there, tap, then he was tap, there. My, yeah, where, yeah. Where's my keys tracker right. was taking me the whole time. Tap, tap, right. tap, 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 tap. You tap. thought of everything. By the way, Shane, we have candy for you for our guests. So yeah, I'm trying to cut down. Carl sure thought it'd be a good idea to give people something to put in their mouth when we interview them. <laughs> yes, so we can talk to them and they can't talk. <laughs> again, listening. again, what's it like to work with professionals? That's really a, that the main. <laughs> I just want to keep the sugar up. I work with great people. I mean, that's why I've never. I've been at Dateline 27 years. I've never looked Jeez. for another job. Really, that's a good. That's, that's my whole life. Wow. I'm 29 I years know. old. I know. Yeah. But I, didn't I mean, it's on the birth certificate. <laughs> what the hell? It said return to sender on that birth certificate. <laughs> <laughs> Not at this address. It said dad to be de- determined. <laughs> Ask Maury oh, Povich. Yeah. We're back to, to Maury be determined. Back to Movich. <laughs> Zach is one of those stories still in the making. I feel like you're going to keep getting little bits of info. We're going to look over. He'll be like writing down stuff and it's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every time I open up the envelope, you are the father. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> Bring me another envelope. Bring me another envelope. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> Can you ever see yourself producing anything like the Maury Povey show, the Jerry Springer show? Could you oh ever goodness. see yourself? No. No. You felt like, I got to feel you. Did you guys feel like, like Shane was about to say something, but he held back like, well, I'm trying to be nice. I mean, I don't want to put... <laughs> trying to be nice. I don't want to put... Trying to, it's it, heckle-proof, baby. It's just not for me. It's heckle-proof. We are a problem. Well, I, I imagine, like, where do you go from there? I mean, it's, so you're working at Dateline, right? And you decide, yeah, I want a career change. And then you go to work for some daytime show that's boring as hell. Like, how do you do that after Dateline? Because, like, mm. those stories have yeah. a little punch compared oh to the goodness. average stories, you know? So how do you sit for, like, a Larry King live? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I don't even know. Where would you Hello, even... Atlanta. Hello. <laughs> like, where would you even go from there? You know, it's, that's... I don't know. I it, Talk shows, to me, are... I, you know, the things I've heard over the years are that producers stand in the back and go, you know... Do you know what she said about you right before you go on the air? Oh, yeah. No. Exactly. Oh, yeah. He Create said the that. Drama. Oh, I'm not kidding. I'm... Oh, man. And then, you know, turn me loose. Get out on the stage and go at it. You know, mm-hmm. that's just not. Nah. They're like human lion tamers in a way. They're just like whipping at the <laughs> well, big cats until they get angry. And, and it's yeah. the same with the reality TV. You right. Know, yes. Like, yeah. Reality has very little to do with it. Did you guys well, watch that right. documentary about the, the reality show where they sent a bunch of kids? I believe it's from Scotland to this they were supposed to be on this tv show it was in the wilderness and then the show got canceled and they just didn't tell them and straight oh. left them out there i don't what? know if you've heard about this there's no. a documentary about it wow. it's pretty interesting i oh. believe it's on netflix but yeah they they uh, convinced a bunch of these young kids like you know well i shouldn't say young super young but 20 to 30 somethings to go yeah. out and do this reality show survival wilderness style thing and they kind of paired them all up and sent them all to different areas and uh, the show apparently only lasted about two and a half months uh, before it actually got canceled, and they thought they were going to be able to get it picked back up. So they kept filming, thinking we don't want to lose what we got. We'll get new sponsors, and they didn't. And then one by one, like production crew and everything, just started kind of leaving. And the, <laughs> the the kicker is these kids thought they were being tricked, 
because there was a prize, right? So they thought, oh, this is psychology, right? They're oh just they're trying gosh. to make us think it's not canceled. And so these guys just stayed out there for a few months. <laughs> it's the Japanese soldiers from World War oh, II. Uh, <laughs> it's 1975. Come out. <laughs> but I feel like they missed the real opportunity. Like that was the show. Yeah, that would like, have been the show. That, that would have been, been the, show. the show. Like we've yes. convinced 20, 20 to 30 somethings <laughs> to go into the forest for a prize that never existed. <laughs> <laughs> the winner gets us one million Instagram followers. Exactly. It's like the fire festival of reality shows. I'm like, no, no, show up. It's cool. On the next episode, we toss an alligator into the mix. Roscoe. <laughs> Roscoe. Welcome to Wendy's. He likes Wendy's. That little kid got an extra with the value meal that day. He's like, oh, I get the kid's meal. Here's an alligator. You know who, you know who works at the Wendy's drive-thru now? Not Todd. <laughs> call back. How do you think Todd lost his arm? Call back. That's a call. Yeah, that's back. what we in the business. That's what we call a call back. Todd started this dance. <laughs> Todd invented the worm because <laughs> he had no other choice. Banging his head, boys. <laughs> They're like he's dancing. I'm like that's a seizure. It's, it's a seizure. That's what a seizure looks like when you have no arms. It's very different. <laughs> So, Shane, you've been on the show for 27 years. Wow. What do you find to be the most difficult thing about being a, one of the producers of Dateline? Getting people to talk to you. Like, hey, please tell me about the worst day of your life. Let me oh, in, man. you know? Because right. <laughs> if they don't talk to us, um, there's no story. And, and I, I become a firm believer that the more people talk about things like that, it's, it's good for them. You know, to be acknowledged. Therapeutic. Be therapeutic, it is. Yeah. My wife helped teach me that. The psych oh. this, she's in psych NP school. But, um, you know. Gonzaga. Yeah. It, um, it does help to talk about it. Um, I mean, know, that's something yeah. me and Carl talked about uh, prior to when I even met Zach. Carl and I were talking about what we wanted to do with the podcast. And one of the ideas was to talk to people to have these crazy backstories, mm -hmm. whether it be recovering from addiction or something traumatic that mm -hmm. happened. And then to have them share their story. And then in a very tender and touching way, we're going to roast the fuck out of them. <laughs> Super tender. And we'll take that story and show them how to make it funny. Yeah. It's like, call it triggered. Because yeah. They call it triggered. Exactly. Yeah. This like, episode oh, of Helco Proof is triggered. Triggered. Oh, your you're parents not my died? daddy. Let's talk about it and make it funny. We care about you. Because this is the thing. Oh, your parents died. <laughs> Let me tell you about our family dinner last night. Right. So comedian Guy Tory, I heard Guy Tory say this, and he got this from Steve Harvey. And it's, and it's and piggyback on what Matt just said about how you're making it funny. Because they say comics say funny shit, but they say comedians make shit funny. Ooh. That's so deep. that's yeah. been my thought process for a while when I, when I heard that a while back. is like making it funny because that's what, and Maddie bringing that up, that's what it's going to be. We're going to make it funny. Because at the end of the day, do you realize some of the shit that you experienced that you considered traumatizing became actually funny? Right. I've had that experience. I can look back. And I've just, used a lot of myself. I look back at some of the ass whippings my mom gave me, and I'm like, that shit was so funny. Now. In hindsight. Because we, because like my mom had used the this, this stitching cord to put down in the, um, for electricity, and she took that cord, they whipped me, but the lights went out, so she couldn't find me. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh And 30 God. years later, it's hilarious. Yes, oh my yeah. God. At the <laughs> time, though. That, that's so true. It's like, that's, that's the first way to start moving on from anything is to figure yeah. out a, a way yeah. to laugh about it. That's yeah, what got right. me into comedy in the first place. Okay. And like Ben, who's my partner with Real Comedy Underground, we got that started. Before that happened, Ben for years was like, Maddie, you got to do comedy. You got to do comedy. You crack me up. And for whatever reason, it's like, eh, I'm busy. Eh, I got the band. Yeah. I got this. And then I had other projects and he was like hounding me constantly. And then I had some stuff happen in my life where it was very kind of traumatic everything changes all at once and i was at that place where you can either sit and like just feel bad for yourself and drink yourself numb yeah. or you can pretend it didn't happen but in the process of sort of like deciding which one i was gonna do uh, i don't know i just i started laughing about it because to me it was like a culmination of a bunch of shitty things that had happened so often and so frequently that by the time that one happened it was like this has no power over me because right. it was like really okay this makes sense you know this is like the third thing or whatever it was you know 
And so in that moment, it's like, well, man, if I did comedy, what do I talk about? Like, how do you start? Where do you, you know, how do you write jokes? And mm-hmm. so my very first thought was just like, well, I'm already kind of making fun of my own, my own self in my head about this a little bit and laughing about certain things that are kind of darkly comic about how it all happened. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote this like 15 minute routine about when my girl at the time left and took the kids and changed everything. Right. And so the routine was all written from a really playful perspective, though. I would talk like I just lost my wife and my kids all at once. Let that sink in for a couple seconds. And I'd say, which is really hard because I had to keep going from store to store in that mall until they finally gave up looking for me. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the very first joke I ever wrote about it because I thought like, how do you make something that really still hurts? How do you make Mm -hmm. it funny? Well, it's to take away the sting of it. Yeah. And so like I I rewrote my own punchline as if like, you know, I could feel bad about what I lost or I could think about like, I got my freedom back, you know, come from that angle instead of being like, you expect me to be mad about it. You expect me to be upset. So I'm going to come out from that angle of like, she left me, man. And gave me my whole fucking life back, you know, like, and all of a yes. sudden, no kid, you know, and that, so, yeah. and that really wasn't how I felt, but it was the funniest way I could think to tell that story. And then eventually I, I kept adding more to the story and getting more uh-huh. personal. And as you added more personal realness to it, I noticed it got funnier. It was already kind of amusing and people were chuckling, but as soon as I started adding the pain in there and finding ways to joke about that, boom, it was like everybody could identify with this. Everybody's lost something, whether it's a person, right. a friend, mm-hmm. you know, lover, relative, doesn't matter, a business, anything. Everybody's felt that loss. So it's like, how do you basically look somebody dead in the face and say, I know you're hurting right now, but that's ridiculous and that's funny as fuck. Like you fell off the yeah. wagon. Like you exactly. fell out, you had 20 years of sobriety, you fell off the wagon, let's joke about it. You know, let's not cry about it. Well, right. the, the thing I've also learned at Dateline is there's no wrong way to react to what happens to you. Like people think, oh, that person didn't look right. Are they, you know, everybody has a right to react to the grief is what we deal with primarily right. in right. their own way. Right. And if you kind of apply that to everything in a non-judgmental way, like, to, you know, your way to get through that was to laugh about it. Right. Right. There's not a lot of people on our show who get to that point. Right. right. But they have a right to, to say anything they want to be mad, you mm-hmm. know, go through all those stages. And I think it takes going through that. Right first to even be able to laugh about like if you don't actually go through it and you don't feel it it's not going to be funny and that's what people and it's not that every situation ends up funny because there's a lot of that don't however i've i've been able to joke with people about some really dark stuff that's happened to them personally and have them walk away going like man i didn't think there's a way that could be funny but when you say it like yeah it's kind of funny the trick is mm-hmm. getting through the uncomfortable to the funny right right yeah <laughs> some people just can't do it can't you know who it, did yeah. that the best richard pryor Mm-hmm. Richard Pryor put his business out there, man. His childhood mm-hmm. trauma and all that, he put it out there. Even after he recovered from um, um, burning himself up, trying to pour alcohol over himself, thinking he can light himself on fire like the Buddhist did, Buddhist monk did in 19, what, 69, 70? Kent State. Mm-hmm. It was a Kent State um, oh, yeah. uh, protest for yeah. the war. This was pre Zach. Pre Zach, way pre Zach, pre Carl. This is when people protested. I was born in ninety one. Pre Carl, actually, but Richard Pryor thought he followed. He he saw the monk on television, uh, burnt himself up. You know, standing up for something. And Richard Pryor was high as a kite already. Pour the alcohol on him. He lit himself up, think he can do it. Next, he know. And his buddy said, "His I think it was like his his right hand man said, oh, he know he was sitting there and just saw Richard run past him. Oh my gosh." (laughs) what I've listened to a lot of Richard Pryor stuff. He just has a really good way of presenting presenting the, the stuff that he was through or, or went through. But I was the same way as, like, Maddie talked about. I experienced quite a bit growing up, and so I always had a way of turning it into, like, a, a, a humorous situation or putting myself in a position where I'm like, okay, you know, I went through this, but somebody else has gone through ten times worse than what I've yeah. been through. So why not laugh about this and make it a joke? So humor became a huge coping mechanism for myself, and I would, you know – being able to joke about something personal to a friend or an acquaintance made them much more comfortable with me, which then enabled me to either make fun of their situation or comment mm-hmm. on their situation. And then they're like, oh, okay, you know, he's a friend because he wouldn't have told me this ABC info if he wasn't, or, you know, I'm fine with him making fun of me because he's gone through some stuff as well too, or. Yeah. You, but you're, you're right. It's more comfortable if somebody leads with a little humor because it tells you right. they processed it a bit. 
Yeah. And I think that's what most people get a little afraid if they're hearing a scary story from somebody that they're going to feel a little too much. Mm. Yeah. Uh-huh. But if that person leads with a little bit of a humor to it, it breaks like, that uncomfortable barrier yeah. because you know, they've processed at least a little bit of it. Yeah, you know? exactly. Well, I mean, you have to make yourself vulnerable. Right. Well, right. I mean, you right. Guys, if you do that, if you do comedy, you do that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Big so, time. Yeah. Right. Big time. But if you open yourself up, I mean, I, if I'm talking to somebody whose family member was murdered, I'm I'm going to try to relate to them any way I can. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, again, my job is to get you to talk to me. Yeah. And um, you have to build trust. You do. You do. That's because if you don't, my job's over before it starts. Yeah. Now, do you got kids? <laughs> I have six kids. So six. I imagine now there's nothing your kids could ever tell you. You know, because sometimes kids are embarrassed. They're like, oh, man, I don't want to tell dad. Yeah. Like, he's not going to like this. I imagine, like, your kids are kind of like anything they do. They're like, whatever. Oh, we're good. Nobody's in prison. But <laughs> right. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess. I've never, I've, that's never occurred to me. Like, uh, wow. My, my wife is, my wife is very safe. She's therapeutic. So the kids all talk to her. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Me. You know, less, I think. Right, like if it doesn't work sorry, with mom. Sorry, you like the fun dad? <laughs> no, it'll always work with mom. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the guy from the 50s. It's like, do I really? Anna once told me we had, we, we had a blended family. Three kids. I had three. She had three. And the two middle daughters were kind of like, just always like busting out of the house at night and coming home late or whatever. And Anna would come into my office because I've worked from home for 19 years. And she'd say, do you know what Grace and Michaela did last night? And I go, do I really have to know? Do I really have to know? <laughs> and she's like, this is not 1950s Montana. You're not your dad. You have to know what's going on. I'm like, you have to participate I, in this family. Sure I'm pretty sure you had no, no idea. 1950s Montana. Yeah. I think every every dad has actually heard that at one point, even if it's just because mm. your, your other person was mad. You have to participate in this family. I'm like, well, from day one. <laughs> for day one, I planted that seed. I've been down That's since funny. day one. I planted that seed. But you know what? Going back to um, making trauma to humor, some people, especially comedians, who's a lot, they can't turn it off. No. They always want to be on. We call it in comedy on because they can't turn it off because it's almost like I don't want to be in my skin. Right. Because that's the co- it's the coping mechanism. Uh-huh. So that's how they get through it is yeah. making it funny. And well, you ev- got- every addiction is about escaping from something, isn't it? Like yep, even deep. if you're addicted to that's straight up, Shane. To, that's true. It is. It is. It's a way of numbing it or ignoring it. Ignoring so it. I like the, the ignoring it. Or as well, we, we call. Th- oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say that happens when you don't even realize. It's a funny thing with comedy is it'll seep in, and you almost sometimes have to catch yourself. And you realize mm-hmm. that, like, oh, I didn't turn it off. And it just happened the other day. And thank goodness it was with a person who has a good sense of humor. But they were explaining that there's a, a another person we knew who had lost a sister. And that person had kind of disappeared for a while. So we weren't sure what had happened. And so it made sense. It was like, oh, that makes sense. You know, they disappeared to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, yeah. And now they're, they're back to performing. They haven't performed in a while. And now that they've gotten mm. through it, they're back to performing. And so I'm listening to the story and I'm like, man, that's, that's rough. But Mm -hmm. you know, like if it takes one dead sister to get another comic in the world, we need comedy right now. That's what we need. And I didn't even think it just came right out and in the wrong crowd, (laughs) that would have been a devastate. This person lost their shit because they thought it was funny. It's like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that's, and that's them being able to. To go there. Some people yeah. can't go there and right. laugh at it. Well, it also wasn't their sister, so oh, a little well, less thank God. Yeah. This but is you, a, the third party. Usually if you're someone God. that uses humor like that to cope or makes jokes like that, you, you build a kind of a sensor as to who you can say that to and who you can't. Sure. No, you, know, you, can, you can kind of feel, yeah, you know your audience, you can feel... You can feel it out and be like, okay, I can make this joke and they'll laugh about it. They're not going to. Well, like Carl, Carl says appropriately offended. Right. Yeah. I mean, you three can talk exactly. about things like, but the darkest, the darkest uh, people or the people with the darkest jobs, like cops, homicide detectives, nurses, doctors, uh, reporters, those are, we all use humor to get right. through it, right? Oh, because absolutely. like how many more dead babies can you cover yeah. in, lo- in local news? Uh-huh. Right? A body in a dumpster or mm-hmm. whatever. And yeah. You, you know, it just, you have to joke about it. Or have some light. It. Yeah, yeah, because that's a good point, Shane. You know, we watch a lot of, um, I watch a lot of uh, Dateline, like I said. So imagine those cops who keep seeing, like you said, the murders and the, and the babies and all that. But how do they come home and release it? How do they, right. what kind of outlet do they have? That's that's tough. That's a tough position to be in. Because I got a buddy who's a cop up in um, Portland, and he's tainted. He's been doing it for about probably 30 years now. And he, and, he, and he opened up to me that, he has to 
constantly self-medicate himself yeah. and he started yeah. to hate people because that's what I've heard over and over mm-hmm. again. I worked with a guy dealing with them that was you're dealing uh, with the bad people so much, the bad people so much. And so he, he just so tired of people and just don't like people because that's, mm-hmm. he keeps coming across working with the bad people, bad situations. And now that's his perspective. That's how he sees Jeez. the world. You got to have a good therapist. And then True your therapist that. needs a good therapist, you know? Yeah. You have to process it or else it's going to kill you or lead to addictions of some kind or, you know, hating people, which I don't, I, you know, 27 years of Dateline, I don't think most people are bad. I just don't. I've met, yeah. I've, I, I often say about the death penalty, I'm against it personally because it can't be applied fairly. On the other hand, I've met 10 people I could probably push the button on myself. Right. You know, wow. Without a second thought, because they're just evil. Yeah. Right. Shane, but, aren't you working with the Innocence Project? Yeah, I'm always working with it. Here's my Innocence. I got Innocence Canada shirt. See? Yeah. Oh, nice. I've uh, I've helped uh, six people get out of prison uh, wow. who didn't do it um, from life prison sentences. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You still in contact with those people? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, one in Idaho, two in Idaho, one in Montana, two in Michigan, one here in Oregon who was doing oh, wow. life for a triple murder, and we kind of triple uh, triple Jeez. murder. Yeah, got the wrong triple. guy. Did, did eleven years at the penitentiary in Salem. First wow. time I ever showed up at a penitentiary, and the guard, uh, one of the guards said, "Get this guy out. He doesn't belong here." Oh wow! Oh my gosh! And the guards usually hate us, so only slightly less than the convicts. Oh, do they? So, yeah, the press usually. What, so what happened? Did they get like some sort of huge settlement since they were wrongly accused? Um, accused? It depends on. I mean, usually there are, they file some um, some civil suit. Yeah. You know? There's a guy in Idaho who just got exonerated. He served 21 years for a murder, and we did the first story nationally on him. And the Innocence Project jumped onto his case, and and, and they just caught the real killer. Um, and he uh, helped Idaho. Uh, help push Idaho to pass a wrongful conviction compensation law, $62,000 a year for every year he did behind bars. Wow. And the governor's supposed to sign it next week. So a lot of states are coming around to, yeah, know, it happens. That's a good incentive sense. to not mess around the next time too. That's well, a lot of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, mistakes Jeez. happen. We all get that. But right. when it, when people are coerced into confessions and things like that, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. uh, you know, that's, do too you, far. uh, do you have a, do you have a, a story or, um, an hour or two that you've done that, that like really sticks out in your mind or in your career that you're like, you know, this is a story that you felt like you were really passionate about or that, that, you know, really is above all the other stories that you've done. I don't know. I mean, I've found evidence, you know, packed away in files in Michigan that the cops said didn't exist. Wow. Um, I found I love wit- stuff like that. Witnesses, yeah, um, you know, it's hard to pin down yeah. one, but the six people, the six innocence stories are the ones that always stick out for me because yeah. those are, you know, that's, yeah. that's decades. You're helping yes. get their families back, get their lives back. Yeah. yeah. And, then Shane, people. and then you have to, I bet this is a lot of work. You got to go find people who were part of the case originally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jeez. In fact, I was, you know thinking I, mean? I was thinking on the way over here one time, uh, Stone Phillips and I worked for two or three years on a story of a serial killer in Michigan who um, traveled around the country with his wife, and she called her grandma. This was like in the 90s, 80s and 90s, and she called her grandma every week um, and checked in with her grandma. So we had a record of their movements. Oh, wow. And uh, we, would, we tracked them all across the country, and I eventually tied them to a bunch of different murders, but I spent months looking at these phone bills, and I'd call up a cop yes. in Florida and say, wow. okay, this sounds crazy, but between... May of 87 and March of 88. <laughs> yes. Did you have any strawberry blonde girls, <laughs> 17 to 21, strangled in a certain way? And one of them said, holy, sh-. you know, you, you just solved our most, un, you know, our, our wow. longest unsolved murder. Wow. And that feels good, doesn't it? Oh, sure. It's, part, I mean, it's just, but I couldn't you got to throw some, you got to, you know, you have to throw a lot of Hail Marys so, and hope yeah. something comes up. Since you started before cell phones existed, and now in today's day and age, we can have all this technology. How has it gotten a lot easier to track down people or to, you know, follow a story and, you know, ga- and gather witnesses? Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Yes. First yeah. place I start. Right. I would imagine. Yeah. Everybody I'm looking for, Facebook right yeah. away. And then we have good databases that we can find mm-hmm. people. And, you know, I can't tell how many people have said to me, um, how did you find me? How did, you, how, did you find, how did you find me? What are you they doing? Just what like are you too. doing at my front door? Right. Or how did you get? I opened a, a FedEx and it had your name on it, and I thought nobody would find me. So 
Now speaking of a Hail Mary, wow. there are times when I seen your when I seen the um crew have to knock on the door hoping somebody would answer. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. they do and it's like, oh, I didn't expect that. But when they do, like the person opens that door. And actually talk sometimes. Sometimes they don't. Yeah. But that's yeah. a Hail Mary. Just, all right, Gosh, let's take this risk. Crazy. Knock well, you, on the door. You can't be afraid to know, right? You, you may hear no a thousand times and right. next time mm-hmm. somebody's there. But, you know, hopefully at this point yeah. you, you're, you're better at focusing what you need rather than just uh, doing the old scattershot thing like we used to in the old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I imagine at some point there's going to be a book. No, I, no, I, I don't no, no books so. in the future. Like, I don't know. I mean, people say, "Oh, you have so many great stories," but I don't. I don't. Yeah. I'd rather write a book about like a novel about true crime or just something else. Well, that's what I mean. That's what he meant. That's what I, I mean. Yeah, how to get away with murder? Yeah, yeah. We're not gonna make you. How to get away with murder? Yeah, you probably won't. You probably. There you go. That's perfect. Leave your phone at home. Because we also came up with a name for you to have a podcast. What? What what do we call it? Shane's podcast. We came up with Shane. Uh, it's uh, I came up with. It's a damn Shane. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or Shane on you. Yes. That's for your part. We got you. So okay. yeah. and if you yeah. ever do, if you ever re, if you ever create your own shows, because a lot because I see I watch a lot of shows when they do reenactments. Oh, never mind. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> a fan mind, of reenactment. I mean, never mind. I, that's I just not. Because yeah. I was going to try to get us a job. Oh. <laughs> We I can, have we, had, you know, we I've, can I've, reenact, I so. have appeared on Dateline and like, we need a arm and a shit and a shadow to run through. <laughs> you know, right? yes. th- this is not my thing. I mean, like, I don't, I don't like to be out in front of people. I prefer to work behind the scenes. Yeah. I fly around. Nobody knows where I am. Nobody knows who I am. If yeah. I fly with Keith, it's like a rock, you know, it's like Keith Richards mm-hmm. flying around. Like, yeah, <gasps> I bet. Guy, I bet. And he's, he's very sweet. So he puts up with it, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, it's a nice problem to have. Too many people know exactly. you and love you. Exactly. Right. So this is one of the questions I wanted to ask before we roll out, before we roll out. So when I'm watching Dateline and we have a family member or we have a friend walking, all of a sudden just stops and just takes a look up while you hear Keith narrating <laughs> over it. Like, who sets that up, Shane? Like, somebody <laughs> just randomly, all right, pretend like you're looking out the window and drink a cup of coffee. And they thought. <laughs> They thought they were flying too close to heaven. <laughs> that they were mere dust like the rest of us. So who, who, who has them like, okay, pretend like you're walking and you have a lot on your mind. Well, like, you know, back 25 years ago, we tried to catch people in their natural state more. <laughs> like, okay, we're just going to have cameras here and then we want you to do whatever you would do anyway. And, you know, it's not that interesting to watch people do what they do. Right. So now we say, okay... I mean, it takes a lot of pictures to make two hours mm-hmm. of TV, right? So, okay, you're going to walk this way. Then we want you to sit on the... I mean, you, just mm-hmm. need, you need pictures. So, I call it the pensive shot. The, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting... Like, the weight of the world. Like, who, like, how does that go about? Who told her to do that? Some, I'll see some guy actually pull out his paintings. And show him paintings. <laughs> like, oh, this dude trying to get a plug and he trying to show my artistic side. Like, yeah. in case they want to hire me. <laughs> I think I'll just have Maddie like, Maddie, roll up some joints. <laughs> exactly. Right. And we uh, all have our talents. Oh, and forget we're here. Right. And oh, forget we're here. One guy's and holding forget a, we're one, here. one's holding yes. a reflector, one's holding a light. Gosh. I'm the worst. I'm the worst crew member ever because like there's always smoke in the shot somewhere. It's like, damn it, Maddie, there's a black. We can't have a black background in smoke. (laughs) You got Oprah high, Maddie. (laughs) Again, everybody gets a joy. (laughs) Well, Shane, I want to thank you for coming on the board. Uh, You have any um any any final any any burning desires, fella? Any burning desires, fella? Before we roll out with my man Shane. Um, I can't think of anything. Just want to thank you for coming on here and being a part of the show with us. And thanks, it's fun to being be our here. first guest. Carl's our first one of my, guest. Our Carl's first. One of my you hear that, America? It's very I'm a popular. Of Shane Bishop. Very popular in my one house. One of the producers, so. producers of MEC Daylight. I'm. Yep. I'm getting emotional. Not only a fan, but a close personal friend. <laughs> Carl, three seconds that way, then look this way, <laughs> then look back. <laughs> Keep okay, we got it. We got some good pensive shots. <laughs> Keep an eye out for Carl's Dateline I was episode. trying to think of that word, man. It was, it was like, what, what did Shane just also, say? Also, Carl, your girlfriend just gave us a whole bunch of photos of you just to have just in case. <laughs> well, I was, which ones? That was really mine. Which ones with the glitter and baby oil and the midget tied next to me? Which one? 
You better give me that good stuff. Carl oh, Lee man. lit up the room. He lit up a room. There's nothing more to say. That's right. <laughs> well, that that was kind That's of my, Maddie. <laughs> that was my my parting shot was just whatever footage surfaces. Just I was a different person back then. The '90s were very different. Crime was actually encouraged in my generation. So Ooh, you know, when you find deep. those, don't cancel me right away with the millennials. You know, bleed that footage out slowly. So I can have at least a few more months of a career. Maddie, I make one <laughs> promise to people, and that is I will ask the hardest questions I can think of. Right. To for pe- me. To people. For me, that's so, math so questions. About that Boy Scout incident. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I heard Girl Scouts were delicious. Everybody's eating those cookies. I made some out of Boy Scouts. On people got note. really weird about it. Oh, on that note. I'm the bad that's person. A wrap. Tell Chris okay. Hansen, come on in. <laughs> Take a seat. <laughs> I knew that's what this was the whole time. <laughs> so you have a six pack of Zima, a bunch of baby oil. We're playing to do. And you were just passing by. <laughs> Don't forget to like and subscribe and follow us wherever fine podcasts are streaming. <laughs> <laughs>